Welcome to Northern Latitudes. I'm Bill Alt. Tammy Azars is a writer focused on outdoor recreation and a nature photographer living in the Cascade foothills of Washington State. An author of a number of trail guides, her most recent is Fall Color Hikes, Washington from Mountaineer Books. She has also completed the Hiking Triple Crown, completing the combined almost 13,000 kilometers of the Appalachian, Pacific Crest, and Continental Divide trails. As you'll hear at the end, even to record this, Tammy had to go the extra distance. And I'm really happy to be here on Northern Latitudes. Thank you, Bill, for inviting me. Not a problem, Tammy. And obviously, you've always been involved in the outdoors. What made you decide to write about it? Well, at the time, uh, when I was... So, so I've always had a career in sort of journalism slash media a little. I dabbled in it even at the very tender age of 12 when I petitioned my local newspaper for a small column for my uh, elementary school, my grade school, my junior high school, and started writing about all the activities that were happening at the local schools in this very tiny newspaper. And uh, it was super fun. And then from that point on, I just realized I had a true love for writing. And as I as I got older, um, I found a lot of uh, my family had always backpacked and hiked. It was just something we did growing up here. Um, I'm a third generation Washingtonian. So when you're raised in a state with such gorgeous natural resources, it's kind of just what you do. Your your family just, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, you go for a hike or um, or a picnic by the river or whatever. Um, and so my life as a child was always very involved in nature. So when I started writing uh, and then I got a little bit older, I started realizing that I probably should combine my two loves. And it was a very natural fit. I started working for REI after uh, I left a, a marketing job in downtown Seattle. I thought, you know, I'm going to follow my heart a little bit, perhaps instead of my head more and went to work for REI. And when I did, I discovered uh, that uh, teaching classes and, and becoming a backpacking guide and things were all uh, right up my alley. And so I started teaching a class on hiking the Wonderland Trail. And every time I taught the class, there were more and more students until, I mean, they were bursting out the door. I had to grab camp chairs from the sales floor and set them up for people because there was nowhere for people to sit. And uh, and so my handout was getting thicker and thicker. And I quickly realized people need a really good book on this. So I set about to publish a book and I had to start from the ground up where everybody starts when they kind of go down a new path and figure out how to make that happen. And within a year, I was contracted with Mountaineers Books and uh, at my desk every day, pinging away at a keyboard, writing, hiking the Wonderland Trail. And um, after doing that, I quickly realized that I just had a, a gift and, and a very strong passion and desire to continue writing about the beautiful places that I've been playing in for so long. Um, we have a lot of new people moving to Washington State. I think everybody in this great country of ours has been shifting around a lot with the pandemic and things. So I feel really blessed and honored that I can kind of share my knowledge, what I've learned over the years with other folks. So that's kind of where it all started. And hiking the Wonderland Trail, you've also, there's, you've helped develop an app for that as well, correct? 
yes. Uh-huh. Yep. So if anyone has uh, done any through hiking or, or even uh, bike packing or paddling, you've probably heard of the company Atlas Guides. You might know them better as Far Out or Gut Hooks. Gut Hooks was the original name, which is pretty disgusting when you hear the name. Um, but it was set up by a guy whose trail name was actually Gut Hook. Um, he wasn't a creep. He just thought it was a funny name. And uh, and so he, he developed kind of the first platform uh, data for the app and then worked with Far Out for um, sort of the back end software design. So I worked with them also on the Wonderland Trail. So the data and all the photos and uh, just the updates and things are are, are my app. Uh, and so it's I'm super proud of it. it it's uh, real time. While you're on the trail, you don't have to have a GPS or connectivity or anything. Your phone can be almost dead <laughs> as long as it has a battery. And you can turn the app on and it will tell you how far to the next waypoint, which might be a camp or a water source or a point of interest. Um, and you can actually click on it and see photos uh, of what your where your camp, what your camp looks like, what it might have to offer as far as like is the privy one of the box style outdoor toilets or is it an actual outhouse? Um, and then it allows uh, for real time comments. So if you get to a creek and it's dry, um, you can, uh, you know, punch in the information there. And then when you do hit a cellular tower, it'll upload that for the next user who is able to download updated information. So super helpful tool. That's neat. Yeah, we've, uh, we've been talking to a lot of people in the podcast about technology and how it's moving more and more into not just the hiking aspect of it or the being outside of it, but the um, the tracking aspect of it and the health aspect of it and tracking time outdoors and that sort of thing. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned health aspect of it. I feel like, um, you know, I grew up doing this. So for me, it's just woven into my childhood, but I think there's a lot of people that have recently sort of discovered the opportunity for mental health that the outdoor offers. And in this crazy world we live in, especially post pandemic where, you know, there was so much stress and challenge and where are we going and what will the future look like that everybody kind of, at least in Washington, there was this giant shift towards outdoor, uh, outdoor activities and new act new outdoor activities so folks that never hiked were all of a sudden out on trails doing it and um what a great thing to have so many families and things just reconnecting and figuring out how to you know not only physically but mentally sort of stim stimulate their health out there it's really great to see and i saw that when i hiked the appalachian trail this last year too that seemed to be i was happy to see that it was sort of all, all through the country what was the through hike on the appalachian trail like that's a big one did you do all of it or did you just do a chunk of it nope did it all started uh july 13th and ended november 13th i did a southbound so i started in Millinocket, Maine, and I climbed Katahdin and then went south. Uh, the AT was the hardest of between the PCT, CDT, and the, a and the AT uh, that I had done. And I, I think it was, for me, um, I'm so used to being surrounded by evergreen trees that it felt a little foreign. Uh, not so much in Maine, but definitely down further south. And, uh, it, and it was just a whole new learning curve about the, the different I don't know, flora and fauna, the different birds. Um, and then 
there was a lot of it that that really surprised me in the aspects of difficulty. Um, they, I, I think they kind of pride themselves, <laughs> the trail builders, on making that go straight up and straight down. There's even one part of it. <laughs> there's, there's even one part of it called the roller coaster. And uh, it, there's a sign there that says, welcome to the roller coaster. Have a great ride. And it is literally just up. It's, it's short up and downs, but it is up and down over rocks and scree for miles. And um, it, it, it's comical. It's, it's borderline comical. And then there's a lot of places in Maine, like if anyone listening to your pod has has climbed Katahdin, they'll fully understand what I mean when I say like, to to get up some of these places they screw rebar into rock so you can actually get up rock that is un very difficult to do without it um or uh inaccessible and so and that's throughout the trail in maine and um it, it's it's crazy they they even have this this section of trail that you have to crawl through boulders for it's a mile. It's the hardest mile on the trail. And, and I, when I say boulders, I'm talking the size of cars and houses and you're up on top of them. And then you're climbing down underneath them, scooching on your tummy. And it's, it's a crazy trail. It was such an experience for sure. Well, it's funny. Cause yeah, we, I've spent a lot of times in the Adirondacks and the Adirondacks are a lot like that too. It's, it's a lot of scrambling and it's a lot of you know going up uh, dried riverbeds and that's or dry streams i should say and it's hard like it's hard oh, it's hard and, <laughs> yeah. and, and then and then i spend a lot of time in the summer i go out west to the canadian rockies and oh. it's like people say well is, is the rockies hard and i said well it's no it's not as hard as the adirondacks because the trails in the rockies now we're doing trail i'm doing trails but the trails in the Rockies are trails. They're, you know, you mostly know you're spending the day going up. The Adirondacks right. is like you said, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's down, it's up. It's, it's, and, and, and steeply so. Like some yeah. places you're looking at it going, come on now. Who thought that was a good idea? Yeah. You know, you're just, it's just, it's like giant boulders all the way up some ridiculously comically steep hill. Um <laughs> And and that's the fun of it. I think I think that's the true challenge is that there is no there are no gimmies. Well, there might be actually a gimme on the deli blazing side in New York. That might be the only gimme, but the rest of it, yeah, you got to work for it. It's yeah, it's super challenging for sure. And that's so you were out there how long? Sorry, four you months. Four, four months, months to the day. Yeah. So, so and you've done a lot of these through hikes, and that's it's a major difference from you know what the common ordinary. Me, kind of like me hiker does i do a few days but how do you prepare yourself for something that's that long and that intense well you know um on the at it was a lot easier because this was not my first rodeo i knew what to expect i knew mentally how challenging it was going to be um i think i underestimated the difficulty quite a bit on the at as far as physical preparation, uh, what you kind of have to do is look at all your resupply points and start there. Of course, the PCT has a permit system, so you have to make sure you get your permits. And once the logistics are done, um, then you uh, have to work a little bit on the mental side. And um, the logistics, of course, getting your permit, finding your resupply points. Most of the time, those are about a hundred mile stretches. The CDT was a little bit more because it's quite remote, but 
about a hundred, if you can do about a hundred miles in and out of towns to pick up a package that you mail to yourself or to buy food or whatever to resupply, um, that's kind of a good footprint for you to start with and then research those towns a little bit and find out, you know, what's available in them, um, and what, what things you might need from them. For example, you may need, uh, a shower and places to charge your phone and, and, you know, whatever else you need to charge your batteries for your in reach or whatever. Uh, and then, um, you know, what services they offer hikers is, is, is it a town that you can walk right into off trail or is it a town that you're going to need help from a trail angel or to hitch into? So once you have your resupply town set, then you can go about figuring out, okay, well, if they just have a small gas station and that's kind of your resupply and what you're reading about it is that maybe it doesn't have all the things that you would like or maybe you have a diet specific to um like vegetarianism or something or veganism and you you know maybe are not going to find what you need at a circle k for example you may want to mail yourself a package uh and a lot of the businesses in the areas will accept those so a lot of planning on that end um the mental part, I, I don't think enough people plan for that. And that will take you out of the game really quickly. It's not just the being away from home part and being away from comfort. It's the suffering. And so right about now, you're probably thinking, oh, that sounds joyful. Why wouldn't I want to go suffer? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but it happens, you know, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of really fun moments and you meet some great people, but you do suffer. Um, your feet hurt, uh, your body hurts. There's no way you can produce weight as quickly as the weight when you throw on a pack. So, uh, learning, uh, how to kind of punch through that suffering and not quit is a big part of it. And one thing that I like to, I do a lot of presentations and, and get this question, like, what do you do if you start feeling like you want to go home? One is you don't quit on a, on a bad day. You have to power through it. And if you have a succession of bad days and things are not going your way, that's when you can entertain the idea. The other is there is, believe it or not, there is joy from suffering. When you get past the really difficult part of the mindset of, I don't have to be out here. This is voluntary. I could go home to a comfortable place uh, with delicious food and a warm bed and people that care for me. When you get past that and realize that you are being given this opportunity of a lifetime to be able to like really put your goals in front of you and accomplish them, and you just are stubborn enough to power through it, that is when you'll succeed. And when you get to the other side of what I call the mini crisis on trail, you, your body kind of goes all right and your brain kind of starts to accept it. And there's this really beautiful breakthrough that happens that really equates to joy at the end. And you don't, you, it's hard to see that in the moment, but um, I have actually what I call a suffering list, which is why I'm doing it, um, what I hope to accomplish from it and um, why it's important for me to continue and so I refer to that and I've only had to do it a few times, thankfully, but when I'm out there and I'm just having a day where like I'm not feeling well or I'm just struggling with something mentally and, and all your demons do come pouring out when you spend that kind of time alone in the backcountry. So, <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's kind of good to have that mental preparation too for these big long trails. I have a friend that calls it doing hard things. But yeah. the question, I mean, the question that everybody's going to want me to ask right now 
is when you have that list and the first one is why, what is the answer to why? Well, so I have a book on the, my whole reason for doing a triple crown. I didn't necessarily set out to do one. It wasn't a goal I had my whole life or anything like that. I, um, I wrote the PCT in Washington state is in my backyard. I'm 20 minutes from it. So I spend a lot of time on that and I know it intimately. Um, I've hiked the whole PCT here in Washington many, many times. So writing the book on it was a natural thing for me. And I wrote the forward to the other guides. And, and so I wanted to hike the whole thing so that when I was doing my book tour, I could speak intelligently to the other parts of the PCT and also help folks that were interested in through hiking the whole thing um, as I was talking about Washington. So that was kind of why I set out to hike the PCT in the first place. Uh, and then after I did the PCT, I got the opportunity to hike the CDT uh, with a friend I had met on the PCT. And it just so happened it was the year 2020 and the whole world was in crisis. And this trail had been planned for a long time. And I just hit a high overview of how difficult it is to plan these things. So the options were pull the plug on it, not do it, or continue on and do it. Um, and the CDT organization was not one of the organizations that was um, shutting down and discouraging hikers from hiking necessarily. They were just kind of like at your own risk, you know, and, and be prepared if, if things go sideways on you to abort mission. And so, um, you know, after a lot of intelligent discussion about the best plan, we set forth, we didn't fly, we drove, um, we were very, very sensitive to small towns and, and, uh, just our resupplies were further apart. Um, and we, and just stayed very healthy and really had a wonderful experience out there and completed the CDT and uh, in September. So of that year, and it was just, we, we actually found that the small towns, surprisingly, especially in communities like small town Atlantic City and Wyoming, they were so grateful to see hikers because that is their livelihood. And they had had very few people coming through and they had a lot of supplies that they had ordered and it was that uh, we were just welcomed with open arms and um, there were like massage therapists in town that were only working on through hikers because they were scared of other communities. But they're like, we know you guys have been out there in the forest for weeks and we know that, you know, you're probably not carrying this virus. And at the time there was no, you know, there was there was no vaccine and it was just a very scary time for people. Um, but it was a really interesting time to do the trail because I ran into maybe 30 other hikers and which is shocking for a trail of that no notoriety to have that few people, that few number of people on it. And um, it was just a glorious experience. And then um, after doing the CDT and the PCT, it was like, all right, well, now I have to do the AT because that's just what you do to complete the big three. Right. So, um, so I went again and set forth on another adventure and here I was out on a long distance trail for another four months. Uh, but it was it was a really good experience. All of them cumulatively, I feel so blessed to be able to have had the opportunity of time and the gift of health to be able to to do them. Yeah, and health on a long trip like that or a long hike like that. Um, yeah, that's you were talking about tired feet and sore feet, but I'm sure there's a lot more things that you know probably bog you down as you as you make your way through four months of up and downs 
in the on the AT, right? Yeah, I mean, you kind of think, okay, well, the first few weeks, I will, you know, shake out the kinks and figure out what, what, you know, I'll, I'll get rid of all the stuff that 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 is troublesome. I'll get rid of, I'll figure out my blister issues and all that. But what happens is your body gets more and more worn down as you as you get further along on these trails. And so you wake up one one day and the right knee is a little grouchy and then you wake up the next day and your left big toe is a little aggravated and you wake up the next day and and I'm really hoping that there are a few through hikers listening to this podcast that are giggling right now because they're they're gonna relate very well to to all the little all the little gritches and gripes of your body um but there's there's those things there's the aches and pains but then there's also um on the AT uh I was in uh, the town of Gorm, New Hampshire, and took a couple days off because the whites were pretty tough and through Maine and all that. And well, I shouldn't say a couple days. I took a zero day, which means zero miles. And um, coming in there, I had a pretty short day too. So it was almost like two days. But uh, I ended up picking up norovirus from a restaurant I went to. I'm pretty sure it was from a restaurant because I wasn't around any other hikers and ended up back on the trail going through some very difficult terrain and being extremely sick. And that was so hard to deal with norovirus on trail. Um, But I was able to find camps that were really far away from the trail. I took side trails and things to just isolate until I was over it, which thankfully has a pretty short time period. It's about two days. And, um, and then I, I was stronger and started back on trail and, and was no worse for the wear except to set myself back a couple days. So, but you don't think about that when you're planning it. It's like, this could happen to me, uh, you know, or this could happen or whatever. And so that's where the suffering list comes in. You just have to say, you know, I'm going to be smart and sensible if I get ill, but I'm also going to stick this out because I think it's, it gives you an excuse to quit when you're feeling you know, it's like, uh oh, now I have this thing. I should probably go home and take care of it. And it's like, well, can I treat it in field? Can I t- treat it with the resources I have? And norovirus is one of those ones. It's just an intestinal thing where it works its way out of your system and then you're fine again. So, um, but yeah, so those are things you can't predict for sure. Those are the bad things. What does it feel yeah. like? To fin- what does it feel like to finish? And what are some of the good things? Oh my gosh. Um, it is an amazing feeling to have triple crowned it it's um like i say there's a lot of joy in in challenge and putting yourself in situations that are tough and in the moment you don't appreciate what it's going to feel like at the end but i came home with a whole renewed sense of purpose and a renewed sense of opportunity if that makes sense i was so grateful for what I had. And I was so grateful for what I had been given in this life. And uh, I I just felt um, my husband threw a a small uh, party, uh, just like a a meeting up with all all of my friends that I hadn't seen for a while since I was on the trail and looking around a, a room full of people that were all so supportive. It's just, it was a big heart melter for me because you know, not, not enough of us do that in, in a lifetime. And so having all those people supporting you just meant the world to me. Having, having done this powerful, difficult thing and seeing 
the eastern seaboard and seeing the entirety of the Rocky Mountains and seeing the crest of the Pacific uh, Trail, you know, seeing the, the entire crest of the Cascades and, and all the way down through the deserts of California, climbing up over, you know, near San Jacinto. And I mean, it was really, truly a thing to see. And now when I travel, I look around and go, oh, that looks like, you know, Southern California or, oh, that reminds me of Anaconda. Or it's like all my little reference points are all from the backcountry sites that I've seen and experienced. And a little bit of a change of pace, your most recent book is called Fall Color Hikes. Yep. And I'm just looking at titles and I'm going, well, that's a little different than the rest of your stuff. What convinced you to write a book that's, I would say, more aimed at the day hiker looking for a specific a specific sense of awe in nature? Yeah, well, uh, so I was teaching a fall uh, hikes class for a while. And once again, I noticed that the audience was growing every time I taught it. It was just getting so much bigger. And there's become sort of this cult-like following for fall in the Northwest. People are looking for the trails that lead. They, they call them the Larch March uh, that go up to these beautiful larch trees, um, or they're looking for the carpets of color with the subalpine um, bilberry or the huckleberries. And so I knew where those places were. I had, I had been there and visited them over the years many times. And so when I taught these classes, I was able to share, you know, where to go for this or where to go for that. Uh, and so I started thinking, you know, there's no book on it. I should write a book. I should write a really good book that helps people find these great places and enjoy these great places. We have such a limited season here that you really need to pinpoint and target the places you want to go when it's fall, because what happens is you, you know, the transition in early October, you can often get big windstorms or you can get uh, snow that knocks the leaves off the plants, or you can get, you know, inaccessibility with snow too, where it's just a big snowstorm hits and it's very difficult to get up in there, or you get up in there with snowshoes and you don't see any color uh, per se. And so, yeah, so I, I decided to write this book and then the scenic drives, I thought, you know, there's a lot of folks that are maybe um, disabled or, you know, I've had, I have a lot of friends that, that go through knee surgery or various things and still want to get out and enjoy the fall. So how can they still do that? So I thought I should, you know, driving to these gorgeous fall locations, the drive is equally as pretty. So uh, I was able to write uh, about eight scenic drives too. So folks can hop in their car and do it maybe the cushy comfort, comfort comfortable way with a, with thermos and cocoa and, <laughs> and uh, maybe some warm blankets and some good music and just go see the sights that way too. All right. Last question. Who's happiest to see you when you get home, your husband or your dog? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, on the last hike, I think my dog thought I was a ghost. I have a, I have a collie. Um, he's, he's super smart, but he was really nervous uh, when he saw me. He ran from me at first and peeked around the corner. Like, is it real? Is this really happening? And then once I was talking to him, then he ran and jumped into my lap, but it took him a second. So yeah, so I would probably say my, my husband, I, although my dog was happy when he finally figured out that I was not an apparition, 
Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a great joy to come home and, and it's, it feels so happy and comfortable here. Um, leaving for four months is hard, no matter what your situation in life, uh, leaving everything that's comfortable and familiar. So coming home is always just such a treat. Um, and I'm so grateful for just the blessings of, of everything I have, you know, coming back to that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Tammy. Tammy Azar is an author. Her latest book is called The Fall Color Hikes of Washington State. I'll thank Tammy for being with us today. Thanks. I really appreciate it, Bill. Take care. And I'll thank her for making the extra effort of driving however far she had to drive to talk on a speakerphone to make this work. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, technology at its finest here. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tammy. That's it for this episode. Thanks to producer Sarah Simpson and social media director Alina Simpson of Media Made Manageable for their help this week. Our theme music and sound logo are from Titan Sound, John Sanfilippo in Kingston. Make sure to tell a friend about the podcast and send them over to the podcast page at northernlatitudes.ca. I'm Bill Alt. Find your way to Northern Latitudes. <laughs>